What up, AOTA family, and welcome to Passing Period, an All the Above podcast extra. My name is Manuel Russin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and of course, you know, we drop these Passing Periods in between our full episodes of All of the Above. Our next full episode, we just recorded it. We just recorded it, people. It's going to be coming your way next Saturday, and well, this coming Saturday, depending on when you're listening to this, and in any case, um, super dope episode of course video format so it takes a while to edit that so we'll be chopping that up this week and getting it ready and until then well actually side note side note jeff i can't believe i started the this uh passing period without acknowledging that this is happy student loan forgiveness application officially online so go ahead and fill that out as quick as possible day how are you celebrating, Jeff? <laughs> is, it, is it really? Well, I'm celebrating by lamenting uh, the fact that I just had to pay all my loans. I did get a small portion forgiven uh, years back for, you know, um, I had a number of different types of loans. But some I got uh, public service forgiveness before that program really became a thing. and um, And then probably... Six years ago now, I think I paid off, maybe five, I paid off my loans. Um, ungodly sums of money well into the six-figure range. And uh, I am one of those people who takes my bitterness and does not say, so that's why these young people today got to learn to work hard and pay back their loans. I say, <laughs> forgive them all. And we should turn all of our vitriol and disgust and anger towards the banks and the people who empower the banks to exploit us all with their ridiculous interest rates and their insane, you know, student loan. College should be free to anybody who wants or needs to go to college, period, end of story. If we are a civilized society, we like to consider ourselves civilized, we shouldn't have student loans of any kind. Boom. There you have it. There you have it. But folks, yes, definitely. If yeah. you if you missed it, if you didn't see uh, folks buzzing online about the application officially uh, being posted and opening, um, definitely go check that out. Maybe, hopefully, if we remember, we'll drop the link under this episode. Uh, but yeah, apply now for federal student loan debt relief. I am told it is a very simple and brief application. So definitely handle that. Handle that. All right. So Jeff, passing period we did not have a passing period last last weekend we were both busy i had folks in town and you know we went to see the um, football team of the number one public university in the world uh compete against utah and win and uh continue its undefeated season and uh yeah man a lot going on a lot going on how are you doing this this fine october weekend I am doing uh, well this fine October weekend. It has been gray and gloomy here in LA for yeah. uh, several days now, and where people are starting to it's panic. Weird, man. man. It's uh, <laughs> we can't handle too many <laughs> too many days without sunshine in a row, man. It's like, you know, it's it's like when there's a full moon in other places. Like people just start acting crazy and do, you know twitching and doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, man. Um, but I'm doing okay. I will say, Manuel, personal anecdote that uh, no one really needs to know about, but I'm going to tell you anyways. As a brand new homeowner, I went to Target last night to get a bunch of stuff, and uh, I bought candy for trick-or-treaters. 
Uh, that was that was on sale. I was like, let me get in while the getting is good and get my little, you know, Hershey's and whatnot. Okay. Um, I should I should no product placement here. Hershey, send us a check or or we're bleeping that out. Uh, <laughs> but I I got my bags of candy for the trick or treaters for the first time in my uh, adult That's life. Up. I don't know. I assume there's kids who live in my neighborhood who trick or treat. I have not seen all that right. many of them, but I assume they're around. So I am gonna next weekend. My sister and I are gonna make some jack lanterns and uh, get, you know put them out on the stoop. And I have candy for the trick or treaters. Nice. Man. This is a new a new chapter in my adult life. The apartment complexes. Not such a hot spot for trick-or-treaters <laughs> that I've lived in over the years. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff, I, I feel like I have to advise you to make sure you don't put any fentanyl in that candy because that's the, you know, in the news mm -hmm. they're saying there's fentanyl showing up in this Halloween candy. So um, if you have any, I know you got a, a pile of it right by you, Jeff. Keep that separate from the candy, man, because, you know, it's dangerous. <laughs> dangerous. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for letting me know to put aside my pile of yeah. fentanyl. Uh, that I keep at the house. Thing. I'm sure most people who have fentanyl keep it in a pile <laughs> somewhere in the house. That sounds about right. That's how you know you're dealing with a real, real uh, hardcore person when they just have a pile yeah, of man, fentanyl. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, is that real? Is that so for real it's, now? Like it's, no, putting... it's not real. It's one of those media hype stories. Okay. Somebody somewhere probably said something about like fentanyl showing up in Halloween candy because you know there has legitimately, legitimately this school year we've had uh, some cases of of students at in American public schools um, becoming sick or in a few cases losing their lives because um, they took something that was laced with fentanyl or had fentanyl in, in it, and you know now it's all the the. Just, you know, the media hype around how dangerous this stuff is and Halloween candy and all that. But no, man, I, I don't know anybody that uh, traffics in fentanyl, but I would doubt that they want to just give it away for free in, hand, in Halloween candy and just kill people. Because, like, what are you gaining from that? But, yeah, there, there have been some media stories about warning parents. So now it's a whole meme on Twitter. Folks, like, posting pictures of candy and, um, you know, Photoshop to look like, oh, I, I, I found a grade one nuclear weapon in candy. Be careful. You got to watch for it. And, you know, just making fun of the whole hype and all that. But um, regarding trick-or-treaters, I don't know if it's my neighborhood, Jeff, but we have not had trick-or-treaters in substantial numbers in like years. Like my first year living here, which was 2012, we had quite a few trick-or-treaters, but I would say many, if not most of them were way too old to be trick-or-treating um but in any case after that it just started to dwindle and i think the last few years it's just been quiet so i don't know if that's a trend across the nation or if it's the neighborhood i live in hasn't you know doesn't have a trick-or-treater age kids or whatever so i'm interested to hear what happens in your your neighborhood for sure so it sounds exciting and the good the good side of not having trick-or-treaters come by is that you get to keep all that candy for yourself so there's always that yeah, well, see, for most people, that would be a good thing. For you for can donate me, it to your that's not a good thing. That that candy is going in the trash. Oh right? man! <laughs> like I, I will eat all of it myself with no help, and that's not good for anyone involved. So, um, it is currently tucked away somewhere where I will not have to look at it and be tempted to eat it. And on November first, that stuff is leaving this house. Look at you I will being say. responsible. I, I will. You being responsible. I will have like a couple. Listen, man, the scale does not lie, and and I have been anything but responsible over my <laughs> over my years of life when it comes to that component of things. So, 
uh, that stuff cannot stay around. Yeah. But uh, but I think it's going to be fun. I I am looking forward to greeting some trick or treaters, and uh, I hope they're around because I would. I also need to meet. Some neighbors, because I think I told people about how I got one set of Karen racist neighbors to call the cops on me for no yeah. reason uh, when I hadn't even moved in yet, because I moved in too suspicious and, and too quickly, and that was suspicious. So I hope they don't have kids uh, that come to trick or treat. Frankly, because I don't really ever <laughs> want to see them again. But I hope the other people around here, who I hope are nice, decent people who don't call the cops on folks for no reason, will come by, and I can meet some of them and say hi and. Show that I am a nice person or something. So yeah, we'll see. That's what's up. Yeah. All right, for sure, for sure. Um, whenever that next passing period comes out after Halloween, you'll have to update us on how the trick or treater situation went. Because yeah, I definitely looking forward to to hearing about that experience. I think we stopped even bothering um, a few years ago when it was just like not even worth it. So we stopped getting the candy, and my wife had to had the nerve to hide the candy from me because I too do not have self-control around the right kind of candy, the right kind of candy. I'm talking uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. So she resorted to hiding it, mm. which not, not my finest moment having my wife hide candy because I can't <laughs> control myself. <laughs> hey man. So yeah, that's funny. So uh. in any case, folks, welcome Back to All of the Above's passing period. We got a super dope guest coming at you next week in a full episode of All of the Above. We'll be dipping uh, into discussion around reconstruction and social studies standards and just how lame of a job too many areas of the nation are doing with regards to teaching about reconstruction. And, um, and yeah, so we'll be getting into that. But Jeff, for this week, for this week's passing period, uh, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Well, Manuel, we're going to um, dig into a fascinating uh, new report that is out from Equ uh, Equality California, uh, which is an organization that publishes or just published the second Safe and Supportive Schools report card um, for 2022, which was actually a, a survey done in the at the end of 2021 of a number of California's many hundreds of school districts. Uh, so we're going to dig into the results of that report. And I think the larger sort of topic for today, Manuel, in particular, is going to be around um, how our school districts are and perhaps are not uh, ensuring safe conditions for and providing uh, a loving, humanizing school environment for um, our state's uh, LGBTQ plus student population, and I suppose the broader communities that um, those students come from. So um, fascinating stuff, Manuel. Some real points, I think, of celebration, and also some, you know, surfacing of work that still needs to be done. So, uh, so let's jump on in. Um, just uh, recently, Equality California published uh, its 2022 Safe and Supportive Schools Report Card. Um, you can access it via the link below this, uh, this episode, or you can just Google it online. I'm sure it'll come up. And um, so Equality California uh, Institute has developed the Safe and Supportive Schools Program uh, to help address disparities in health and well-being faced by LGBTQ plus students as compared to the broader public. 
this program aligns with the organization's mission to ensure that the institutions to which people turn to in times of need and crisis have the tools and training they need to best serve the LGBTQ plus community. Um, now, this effort is also done, I don't know if it's like officially in partnership with the state, but in the report, State Superintendent of Instruction Tony Thurman had like a, a letter um, at the at the front of the report. So there's some general alliance between the, you know, the state entities and um, Equality, uh, the, excuse me, Equality California um, as like a critical friend, I guess, of the state on, the, on this effort. So that, that's a good thing, I think. And um, there were a number of important key findings of the report. Some, some positive stuff I will start with first, Manuel. 97% uh, of responding districts, uh, which is 115 out of the 118 that responded. They surveyed 343, 100, uh, 343 districts, 118 responded. Of those 118, 115 indicated that they had an existing policy prohibiting discrimination, harassment, intimidation, and bullying against students, um, also known effectively as like an anti-bullying policy. 95% of districts have policies that require school personnel to intervene and stop bullying when they witness it. 83% um, of districts have policies that allow students who are victims of bullying to transfer to another district if no alternative school placement within the district is available. 91% of districts have gender-neutral district-wide dress code policies. 86% um, of districts require schools to allow students to form a GSA should they wish to form one. Um, 81% of school districts have GSAs in at least half of their high schools, um, and 59% have GSAs in all high schools. And then 84% um, of districts have policies that allow students to use locker rooms and restrooms based on their gender identity. So there's a lot more data points that they gathered. Manuel, I'll kind of pause there around um, some, some celebrations, but... You know, in looking at these data points overall, we were talking before the show and I was like, this feels like a data set that both represents the results of the really hard work of all the LGBTQ activists, folks on the ground, the community, parents, uh, community groups, etc., that have been fighting for space, change, human their humanity and dignity, acknowledgement, power, etc., over decades of time. Because I'm sure when we were youngins, these numbers were not that high, right? <laughs> right? Um, and probably even as recently as 10, 15 years ago, these numbers were probably not that high, would be my guess. Um, and also, it feels like, yes, important celebrations, and we got probably got a, a ways to go still here. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really important there, pointing out or highlighting that there is a lot to celebrate here, and yet there also is a long ways to go. And during this day and age, particularly when um, gay students, trans students are more overtly being targeted by school boards, by whole states uh, you know, across the nation, and um, things are becoming more and more um, 
I mean, the rhetoric around um, these issues is becoming more and more charged as everything has become more and more charged uh, and dangerous. It's important, I think, to highlight districts in our great state of California uh, that are doing well in terms of trying to help make sure that students are safe and supported in their district. And, you know, that's that's something to celebrate because I think, you know, obviously we've mentioned many times that California is not this liberal um this liberal model that a lot of folks paint it out to be. There are plenty of parts of California that are in, some would say the majority of California in terms of just like square miles wise is um, really like right wing and somewhat rural. And, you know, California is by no means a model for the nation to follow when it comes to doing right by our most marginalized populations. But um, I think this says a lot about the work that many California districts are doing. And I think a lot of school systems outside of California. So anybody who's listening, who works at a school um, outside of California, who's wondering like, you know, what, you know, aside from just saying that I want to um, do right by my LGBTQ plus students, like what, what does that actually look like? I think this survey shows some, some important indicators for what it does look like when a school or a district is, is trying to do better to make their um, their area safe and supportive for for this population. So I think the indi indicators. I know myself as yeah, I've been teaching high school for 19 years, and some of these indicators I just hadn't really thought about it in terms of you know if my district does this or that. So you can look up. So if you do live in California, uh, we'll put the link below. But you can look up your district if your district responded to the survey, and it looks like you know a little less than half of districts um, did respond. But if your district did respond to the survey, you can see uh, the results. And for my district, we we. Pasadena Unified, we ranked as foundational. So we're not in the lower tier of things, but you know, we still have room to grow. And some of these indicators here, of course, as you mentioned, Jeff, the anti-bullying policy and does it explicitly state and allow for students to transfer to different schools if they're being bullied or different districts if there's not a available school around them. Um, you know, all those indicators are um important but you know i guess our anti-bullying policy doesn't do that so you know my school district got marked down for um not addressing the ability of targets of bullying to transfer to a different school although i i do believe we we have had in my experience i have had many students who have tra transferred into my school because of bullying at other schools so i know it's allowed but it's probably not spelled out well enough in the policy but um something that really struck me in looking at these results are for one, the the notice and attention to gender neutral dress codes, because dress codes are always a very hot topic. And I think it's critically important to make sure everybody understands in public schools in particular, uh, these dress codes, man, like I've seen dress codes for mostly private and independent schools that are hella gendered, that are still requiring um, girls to wear uh, skirts or, or dress up, dress differently than than um, boys at their school system. And that's just so outdated and so wrong in so many different ways. Uh, so I think it's important for folks in our public school system um, to know and to make sure that their dress codes and their uh, district dress code policy, if, if one exists, is is free from all that really outdated um, toxic stuff. But in any case, going back to my district, um, we're looking pretty good. And we are also looking like we have some room to grow. One thing that really surprised me is that one of the um, one of the indicators here is about transgender or gender nonconforming students and whether or not there's a process for them to change their names and change their uh, gender within official school records, within unofficial school records, like student IDs and, and such. And, you know, my district scored yes on all of these. 
I don't know what that process looks like. I didn't know about that process. I know I have uh, students who their own gender identity differs from what their parent or caregiver um, recognizes. So I know I've, I've had conversations with students about, um, you know, I students who prefer to um, use they, them pronouns. And sometimes before, if ever I'm about to encounter their parent or caregiver, I usually ask the student, like, so how, how's your parent feel about that? Just because I don't want to get that student caught up in any trouble. I don't want, you know, to uh, refer to the student in a way that their caregiver is going to be like, why that, why, you know, because I, I know there's issues out there in households. So um, seeing that my district has scored pretty well in terms of having a process, I'm curious what that process looks like. Is this a process where the the you know guardian on record has to also agree? Or can our students, if I have a student who wants to change their uh, name or gender on official school records, can that student do it by themselves? I'm sure the answer is out there, but I just don't know. And I feel like as a classroom teacher, it would be nice to know um, what the process is because, you know, we're the ones who interact with students most routinely. So in any case, Jeff, going back to your initial point, yes, there's uh, a lot here to celebrate and obviously there's room to grow. I think both of us can relate to being in high school back in the day, we don't need to say how far back in the day, but back in the day, and like none of this existing, like none of this, like there's uh, none of, hardly any of this existed at my high school. So I could imagine just, I actually, I cannot imagine how difficult it must have been in high school, at my high school, for anybody um, who was lesbian, gay, or bisexual, or transgender, um, or queer to, to navigate that space without any of these protections in place to help make sure they had a safe and supportive campus. So bravo to everybody out there, all the activists and organizers pushing for these changes here in California and of course beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, some, some other data points that stood out to me, Manuel, in particular is growth areas. Uh, one or a couple were under the, uh, the issue of curriculum. So 52% of districts have adopted LGBTQ plus inclusive social science textbooks at the high school level. That's a fascinating one to me because let's be real, man, the, the issues of erasure uh, in from the curriculum for the LGBTQ community are as strong as they are for any other, uh, in particular, like uh, when we look through the lens of race, it, like, it, you know, is there a presence of indigenous peoples in this curriculum or black folks or Filipinos or whatever, right? And and we often like are like, whoa, there's like one paragraph in the book on like the Indians were here and then they weren't, right? right. Uh, and and though that same kind of like, oh snap, we have an issue uh, phenomenon is present for LGBTQ plus uh, folks as well. In particular, when you know, it's, it stands in stark contrast when like members of that community are present in the curriculum, but their this aspect of their identity is conveniently never addressed, right? Um, and so, so that one stood out to me. Um, Eighty-seven percent of districts offer sexual health education that is mandatory unless a parent or guardian opts their student out. That's an interesting one, and we've done over the years. I think we've touched a couple times on like comprehensive sex education uh, and science-based sex education and the varying rules on that across the the country. But that was an interesting one. Um, there also was an issue around uh, gender-neutral restrooms. 16% uh, of districts have policies that allow, or no, I'm sorry, um, I'm looking at the wrong data point here. 
16% of districts have policies that allow students to bring a date of any gender to a school function, such as a dance, uh, which is really interesting data point. And I think, you know, probably a, a lens on this issue that like a lot of people don't often think about, right? That like, it's sort of one, an example of one of these ways in which the, your privilege presents itself if you are a, you know, cisgendered, uh, straight, person, heterosexual person in this equation where you're like, oh, there's a dance. Well, of course I can bring a date <laughs> to this dance. Of course I'm not going to have any, you know, I might have like peer pressure issues of like, do people like my date or not like my date or am I cool or not cool? The normal teen drama. But, uh, but like, you know, is it even allowed for me to bring my preference of a, uh, of a date or, you know, the date that matches my gender identity and sexuality. Um, so, you know, th things like that, that, that jump out of this is like, yeah, there, we have made a lot of growth and there's still uh, much room for us to grow here. Um, Going back to what I was uh, trying to reference earlier, sorry, I lost my data point. 53% of districts have at least one gender neutral restroom uh, facility available for students that is easily accessible and not in a nurse's office or a faculty lounge. Um, you know, that is, uh, that's a fascinating one. Um, I love the specificity around not in the nurse's <laughs> office or, or the faculty lounge. You, you, you know, it shouldn't be a privilege that you get to enter the faculty lounge to use the gender neutral restroom right. that's reserved only for the adults. And it's not a medical emergency that you have to pee or whatever. Uh, <laughs> like there should just be some bathrooms. So the, there's implications on like physical plants, right? And how, how do we structure uh, the construction of restrooms in our, you know, in our physical spaces. So, um, so I, I really appreciate this collection of, of data points. I appreciate the work that has been done and the growth we have seen. And also I feel like it's calling us to say like most of these questions should be at a hundred percent across the board. Yeah. Uh, if, if what we understand the purpose of school to be is creating uh, an environment that is welcoming and affirming of the humanity of, of all. And so, you know, it'd be one thing if we were at like 99%, you know, maybe we could, maybe we could still sleep, <laughs> you know, easy on that one, but we're, we're a ways away, uh, yeah. on, you know, on most of these indicators. So, yeah. Yeah. And of the 118 or whatever number of districts responded here, only 19, I guess only is, you know, depending on how you look at it, but only 19 um, stand out as being recognized for um, doing excellent on this and going above and beyond on these issues. So that's, it's nice in the sense of the, the folks behind the survey are highlighting these 19 districts to serve as a model for other areas who are looking to do better. You could look into these districts. And I think that certainly applies to folks outside of California. Um, these 19 who are highlighted, including the district that I went to school in, uh, Elk Grove Unified. Shout out to my Sacramento peoples or Sacramento area peoples. Um, but yeah, those those 19 districts, hopefully, hopefully it'll be way more than 19 sometime soon. But in any case, um, those models are there for, for folks looking to see how they could do better um, to make sure that they support all support their students and, and maintain an overall positive campus climate um, that is positive 
for everybody, including the LGBTQ plus students who are uh, so often overburdened with bullying and hate and erasure and all these things um, that we see here. So, so yeah, we thought that was that was definitely worthy of discussion. And Jeff, you know, sort of somewhat connected here, but you know, in in a sort of roundabout way was the story about the the Trevor Project, which we we've discussed the Trevor Project on our show um, before in the past. Um, as it related to a, a particular incident with the student um, who committed suicide after being bullied for a very long time um, over his uh, gender expression. And the Trevor Project was one of the resources that, um, or one of the organizations that we shouted out. This was, I think, season one. But in any case, um, the Twitter space found out that the Trevor Project was listing a surveillance tool, uh, in this case, Gaggle, as a corporate sponsor. And Gaggle, for those of you who are not familiar, is is one of a few and many, um, some would say too many, um, tools out there that surveil students' activity in order to, you know, ostensibly try to identify students who might cause themselves harm or harm somebody else um, to identify it ahead of time. And we've discussed this on the show, I think, recently, it might have been the most previous most recent passing period or the one before that um, about tools like this being used to squash campus protest. Uh, that was not about Gaggle specifically, but we did reference the fact that K-12 schools have these uh, surveillance tools as well. And for Gaggle, um, this article that we are pulling from right now or that I'm looking at uh, by Mark Pierlebur, um, we have mentioned his name so many times, Jeff, uh, for the 74. He does such good work and we have yet to pronounce his last name correctly, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> so shout out. We're just going to have to hit him up and check. Man, for real, for real. So um, so yeah, he's report, he reported about, uh, you know, the, the online fury over uh, Trevor Project accepting, uh, in this case, $25,000 from Gaggle, um, despite educators' concerns and, and young people's concerns that students are um, very often, too often, um, outed by systems like this, surveillance tools like this, um, and put in extra harm's way by you know their folks in their household who um, who they're facing abuse from as well for their for their um, gender and sexuality. So, anyways, he reported about that twenty about the furor over folks finding out that the Trevor Project was accepting money from the surveillance tool, and the Trevor Project went ahead and gave back that twenty five thousand. And the gaggle um, has said something along the lines of like it's going to do better to try to figure out how um, to make sure its tools aren't being used to um, disclose students uh, sexual orientation uh, against their will so so you know one of the indicators of the survey Jeff was this idea of a science-based um, sex ed that's mandatory unless a parent or a guardian um, opts the student out so you can imagine a seventh or eighth grader who is seeking information and seeking answers about what they're feeling and what they're um what they're seeing through their eyes around sexuality and their own gender identity and you could you could imagine that student searching for terms googling stuff um that might raise a red flag with these surveillance tools or you could picture a student maybe um typing a comment to a friend um i i know at our school i don't know about other schools but sometimes uh, students will open up a Google document and share it with their friend uh, across the room or the friend in another classroom. And that's kind of how they pass notes because they, you know, they each have access to this Google document. They kind of just type in it, talking back and forth. So the student looks so productive at their Chromebook working on the assignment for sure. But in actuality, they are essentially passing notes to their friend. But in any case, uh, 
you know, you could imagine a student saying something about how like, oh, you know, so-and-so said they're going to um, beat me up at lunchtime because this and that and in referencing their sexual uh, orientation or something like that. So uh, a company like Gaggle or one of these other social media, not social media, the one of these other student surveillance tools might flag that as incident of bullying and harm and report that directly perhaps to the guardian or to school officials and against that student's will, now that they're, the folks at their home and the folks, the adults at their school know that they're gay or suspect that they're gay. And now the student is even less safe than they were before. So the Trevor Project has turned down that money and these surveillance tools, which are problematic for so, so many reasons, um, have to continue to work to do better. Maybe they're not doing better. Maybe they're not working in the first place. So maybe continue is the wrong word. Uh, but these surveillance tools have to do better to make sure that what they think is helping a student isn't actually um, outing students against their will and just making situations worse. So yeah, there's that. Yeah, man. The, the more you learn, the more we learn about these surveillance apps, uh, the more, the less there is to like, I feel like, Manuel, the more fraught with problems uh, we are, we are discovering them, them to be. And, um, you know, I guess the Trevor Project is, uh, I donate to the Trevor Project, Manuel. Um, funny, funny side note, when, uh, when a, a certain individual several uh, cycles back now, or years back, was uh, first um, elected to office, the following morning, I decided I was going to make a small contribution to like five or six different organizations out there that do work that stood in stark contrast to the political philosophy of, of said individual. And uh, the Trevor Project was one of them. So I have since then been making a very small monthly contribution to uh, five different organizations. And I just decided I'm not, I'm not going to stop it because, you know, why, why, why bother? Um, and I, I still have felt like I've supported the work. So I am um, excited, uh, or excited is probably the wrong word, but I'm happy to hear that they returned those funds and are, um, you know, deciding to, to have a different bar of accountability on, the, on their funding sources right now. So that's a positive thing. But I, you know, ultimately, Manuel, I think where, what I'm drawing from today's conversation on, you know, on these issues is that... Um, in as much as we have made important progress, there is still a lot of work for for us to do, and the and importantly so, right? The like the pursuit of equality of humanizing spaces is an ever evolving, you know, question. It's an ever evolving pursuit, and um, you know, it's important that we not get too but so comfortable in conversations uh, about these things because. Uh, you know, we, we are working to unlearn quite a bit. And, uh, and that unlearning sometimes takes the form of, you know, policy and, and policy violence that can be done. So um, shout out to Equality California. Shout out to uh, the Trevor Project making better decisions about where their funding is going to come from. And, um, you know, here's to schools that protect and promote the dignity and humanity of all young people. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine what test scores will look like, Jeff. Going back, just, just imagine test scores, the boost that we would see if instead of double blocking and extra stuff, all that. If we just had a school system where every single student 
felt safe and felt supported and felt that they could be their true selves around their peers, in front of their teachers, without facing the bullying, without facing the targeting, without facing all the harms that are out there. I'm just saying, even if an individual is feeling whatever political way about um, folks' identities, let's just, just think about test scores, maybe. Just think about test scores and how big of a boost we would have if everybody across our system, regardless of race, religion, gender, sexuality, if everybody just felt like they could be themselves and not show up to school and feel the fear and anxiety and stress that comes with being targeted by hateful folks in your midst. So if you don't want to do it because it's the right thing to do, building these safe supportive spaces, then build these safe supportive spaces because it'll inevitably lead to um, test score gains. So there's that. There's that angle for anybody who's having trouble thinking about why any of this is important. Although we know nobody in the AOTA family um, questions the importance of, of these matters, that's for sure. So there's that, Jeff. Folks, uh, folks, you heard it here first. Uh, Dr. Test Manuel scores. Rustin, noted award-winning teacher, Let's go. Uh, be believes that the, the path to LGBTQ plus uh, equality is through standardized tests. That's what you heard. That's the headline. Uh, Period. Hey, End of hey story. If, if learning loss is as big and important as people are saying, then perhaps, perhaps we need to work hard on getting students feeling good enough about themselves that they could actually focus on the test or think about a test. Because why the hell would I care about a test if I'm facing um, very dangerous bullying come lunchtime because of what was said about me and my gender expression? What would I care about the test? Anyways, folks. This has been an all of the above passing period. And we, of course, drop these in between our full episodes. Next week, we got Mimi Eisen of the Zen Education Project. This will be our second guest from the Zen Ed Project. And um, our, our first guest, Jesse Hagopian, uh, his episode about a year or two ago uh, about teaching truth and the importance of fighting against these anti-truth bills across and laws across the nation um, is available now at aotashow.com to watch or to, to listen to if you missed it the first time. Uh, this episode coming up with Mimi Eisen is just as dope and just as critically important towards building a humanizing, democratic space for everybody to enjoy and live in and um, be honest with, with each other and build a nice community and nice future. Um, so definitely you don't want to miss that. That's coming up next week. Jeff, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, I, you know, man, well, I am just so excited that uh, earlier today, as you mentioned, we got a chance to uh, break in the new studio here, my new home studio, having just recently moved. And uh, I'm excited that we're back with video episodes, man, and getting, getting great guests uh, back on the show. So um, thanks to all of those who have uh, rocked with us over these last couple of months in particular, where we've had... Uh, more passing periods than usual and uh, some, you know, uh, disruption to the typical schedule. But we see you. We appreciate you. Thanks for rocking with us. We'll be back full strength next weekend. And, uh, you know, that's that's exciting. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. All right, folks, that about does it for this week's passing period. Remember, we love y'all. and It's time for you to go ahead and get to class.